Well, good morning. That was weak. Good morning. Good morning. All right. I want to make sure you're awake. You act like you were watching the Eagles win last night. Yeah, come on now. Who's excited about the Eagles winning? You guys are still getting there. Yeah, all right, all right. Oh, yes, yes. People are excited. Uh, <laughs> someone was talking about the Chiefs over here. The one fan of the Chiefs in our church. Uh, the one and only Jack Nonamaker. But again, we're glad you are here with us this morning. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend. I want to welcome those of you who are here with us in person, those online, and want to especially welcome our first-time guests. We're glad you are here with us today. We'd love to connect with you. One of the easiest ways to do that is to fill out a connection card. You can find those on our app, our website. You can find them here in our gathering space as well. And then on your way out today, make sure you grab a gift bag if you're a first-time guest. That's our way of just saying thanks for being here with us today. And we're just so excited that each and every one of you is here. And we're starting to see more college students make their way back after their long break. Yeah, let's give it up for those college students. Yeah, we love having college students here as part of our church and ministry at Riverbend. And so we're, we're so excited about that, um, as well as all that's going on with Night to Shine as we're getting ready for that right around the corner here. So on, in your way, on your way out as well today, make sure you go by the wall that's right here and you can take with you a name to pray with. Now leave the stars on, on the wall, but you can take with you the sticky note, the post-it note, and that could be used as a way to be praying throughout your weeks as we're getting ready for Night to Shine as it's right around the corner and then following our gathering as well. There's a prayer time. Uh, that Rebecca Escott's going to be leading. And so we just want to invite you to do that with us as well. But again, we're glad you're here with us as we are continuing our teaching series called I Am. Say that with me. I Am. I Am. And really, when you think about using that phrase, I Am, it's a way of describing who you are. I Am, you say your name, right? So let's just say your name right now on three, one, two. I Am. Yes, yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I Am. Tell them your name. Yes, tell them your name. This is great. This is a good way for us to do that. In a lot of ways, what we see in the Gospel of John is Jesus doing that very thing, describing who he is with these I am statements. And they're all throughout the Gospel of John. And it tells us not only what he says of himself, but really indicates for us how he did what he did and what he was about. And so these statements are so important for us to be able to understand and fathom as we consider who this Jesus is. And already we've looked at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And then last week we, we heard him say, I am the light of the world. And so as we continue in this series, here's one of the things I want to do with us this morning is I want to do a little experiment. And oh, experiments are fun from the, the guy doing the teaching and the preaching. And this experiment actually comes from a seminary professor and author. His name is Scott McKnight. And every semester as new students come in to the class, he asks them the following, to do the following. The first is to list out your likes and dislikes. List them out. And I want you to think about some of the things you like and some of the things you dislike. Some of us say, man, I like the Eagles, right? I heard that already, right? There, there's these likes and there's these dislikes that each and every one of us has. So I want you to be thinking about what you would put on your list. And you're welcome to, to try this with the time that we have today. Maybe you want to take out a, a piece of paper to write it down or use your phone to do this as well. And then the second thing he asked them to do is the following. List out God's likes 
and dislikes. List out God's likes and dislikes. So what does God like and what does God dislike? And then he asked them to do the following. He asked them to compare the two lists. And what he's found over many years of doing this is that 90% of the times the lists look identical from what the people like and dislike and what God likes and dislikes. In other words, they're saying we are on the same wavelength as God himself. God has, <laughs> for, for my life and who what I'm about, he is actually a lot more like me than I thought. And it reminds me of this quote. And this is the quote. God created man in his own image, and man being a gentleman returned the favor. So God makes us in his image, in his likeness. And this quote says, it's easy to project on God what we want him to be like, that what I like, what I like and dislike, God likes and dislikes. And isn't that true? It shows up in a variety of ways, right? It's, it's easy for, for God to wink, wink at the issues in my own life, but have issues with somebody else's bad behavior, sinful behavior, sinful actions. But for me, it's like, oh, it's okay. You know, you're, you're good, right? It gives me a pass. But he's a lot harsher on others, right? Or there's issues that maybe make me feel uncomfortable. I think about even this Sunday. It's Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I think about even the idea of sanctity of life and how in our culture even, there's parts of it when we talk about what we're comfortable with and uncomfortable with that we pick parts of the sanctity of life discussion. So for some of us, we're like, man, we should protect life in the womb. By the way, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I agree that every child matters to God. But then we get uncomfortable when we start talking about life outside the womb. And how do we help people flourish and thrive and the human dignity, right, that, that is in each and, each and every one of us, that we're made in God's image. Or for some of us, we're like, you know what, I'm not comfortable with this whole idea of protecting life in the womb, but I'm all about after the womb. I'm all about protecting life in that way. But isn't that interesting how all of a sudden I project on God his likes and dislikes, even about things like human life. We can do that, right? The things that make us uncomfortable, God couldn't possibly have an interest in, right? <laughs> he follows suit with what I like and what I'm comfortable with. And the things I'm comfortable with, God gives his sign, seal, and approval on. And I think we all do that in our own life as well, that there are parts of us that if we're not careful, we can project on God who he is based off who we are. And that even goes into areas of how he views us and how he views each, all of us and how he views the people around us. Is he intimately involved? Does he care about our lives? Is he a killjoy, a cosmic killjoy? Is he out to get us? I mean, if you have that vision and perspective on him and who he is, a lot of times that's based off our own experience, not based off who he truly is. And we all have it. Again, we all have our list of likes and dislikes and how they match God's likes and dislikes. Because we all, if we're honest, are imperfect and broken and fallen, and it's easy to do that. But he's inviting us to something more. He's inviting us 
to something more. And throughout this series, we've said that Jesus wants to awaken us to the more we are created for. Jesus wants to awaken us to the more that we were created for. And throughout the Gospel of John, you can't escape what John says about Jesus and what Jesus himself would say, that he's come to bring the light of life, that he is for us experiencing human flourishing and thriving, that he wants us to experience this joy and this peace and this love and this truth and this grace. He desires that force, and he's designed us in such a way to be created for a purpose and on purpose. He has a purpose for our lives, for each and every one of us. And these purposes are meant to be found in him. And so if you're here today and you're like, I'm not totally sure what I think about God. I do have my list of likes and dislikes. And I think God looks a lot more like me than he does other people, right? Welcome. We're glad you're here. <laughs> We're glad you're here. We're helping, hoping that you will encounter Christ in some real ways. And then for those who have been followers of Christ for a long time, isn't it easy still for us to do that as well? And I'm hoping that our, ho that our hearts and our minds would be open to the fact that he wants to awaken us to the more that we were created for. And so as we think about that, and as we begin our time, I want to give you these two questions. Who is God really, and what does he say about himself? And that's really what this series is about, is, is really hearing what Jesus would describe himself as, but also what it means when it comes to this idea of who God truly is. And for us to be able to understand that and to walk in that and to live that out is going to be so key. Because whatever our framework for life, and another way to say this, our theological framework, the way that we view and see God and the way in which we operate when we think about the things of God is going to impact how we approach and go about our life. So this is really important. And so as we think about this, these, these two questions, who, God, who is God really, and what does he say about himself? We're going to look at John's gospel, and specifically in John chapter 8. And last week, we started seeing things kind of ramp up a bit between Jesus and the Jews. And it says that many of them were just constantly questioning, challenging, accusing Jesus on all kinds of things, but many believed as well. And and he says to those who believed, he says, if you hear my teaching and put them into practice, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is John 8, 31 through 32. We're going to get to these verses on the screen in just a minute. But as he says all these things about being set free, they're like, we've never been a slave to anyone. We've never been a slave to anyone. And Jesus says to them, Jesus says, if you sin, you are a slave. You are a slave, and the Son of Man has come to set you free. And they're like, we're, we're not illegitimate children. Our father's Abraham. And, they're like, and he's like, well, if your father was Abraham, if you were truly following Abraham, you would be about me and my ways. You would really be about who I am and what I've come to do and what I've come to accomplish. Your father isn't Abraham. Your father is the liar, the accuser, the murderer, the devil. That's what Jesus says. And so you can just hear it ramping up, right? And it's starting to really ramp up. And that leads us to where we're going to be at today. Verse 48, all right? So J John 8, 48 is where we're going to start. Verses are on the screen. We have copies of the Bible as well. You can follow along in the app. 
as well. It says this, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and a demon possessed? And as you hear what they're saying to Jesus, there's this back and forth about who's belonging to the devil and who's not belonging to the devil. There's like a ping pong match between Jesus and the Jews and all throughout John 8. So Jesus says, hey, you, you belong you belong to the devil, your father, the father of lies. And, and then they say, no, you're demon-possessed. And, and we keep hearing this back and forth as we go through this. And when he says, when it says to Jesus, you're a Samaritan, by the way, this isn't a compliment in this day. This isn't like, hey, you know what? We think so highly of you. You're a Samaritan. You know, that's not what it was. This was really the equivalent of, of calling him uh, something of saying, hey, you're lesser, because the Samaritans were viewed as, as half-breed Jews. They were viewed as lesser. In fact, people would avoid Samaria. The Samaritans and the Jews hated one another. And that's why in John 4, it's so scandalous that he goes right to Samaria, through it, and talks to the Samaritan woman. And it's a beautiful story of how he helps her to encounter and experience Christ. And then the people in her village come to faith in Jesus as well. It's awesome, awesome story. So for them to say this is, again, an insult towards Jesus. They're saying, hey, you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed. You know, again, aren't we right in saying that's who you are? And he goes on to say this, I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. That's good to know, Jesus. Thank you for clarifying for us this. But I honor my father, and you dishonor who? I honor my father. I'm about my father in his ways. I'm about lifting him up, and you dishonor me. This is not about me. This is about what my heavenly father has sent me to do. And I'm before you, and you're seeing me with your own eyes. You're seeing me teach, do these miracles, and yet you don't have eyes to see. You don't have a faith to put your trust in who I am and what I've come to do. In fact, you just keep accusing me. Accuse me of being demon-possessed, of being about my own business and my own will and my own way instead of being sent from my heavenly Father. And it goes on to say this. It says, I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever obeys my word will never see death. And so as you think about what Jesus is getting at here, he says, hey, I'm not seeking glory for myself. And the idea of glory is this idea of acclaim, fame, uh, recognition, adoration. He's like, I'm not seeking it for myself, but he says there's one who seeks it. And he's talking about the judge. And he's talking specifically about his heavenly father. And he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And Jesus is really talking about the fact that in him, we can have eternal life. In Christ Jesus, that we can have life that begins today with him. That we could know him and walk with him. It gives us hope for today and then hope for tomorrow when this life is over. And it's found in putting our trust in Jesus. And so when we obey his teaching, it's for our benefit. It's for our flourishing. It's for our thriving. And obedience in this context, in response to Jesus, I've received who he is and what he has for me. And I'm going to follow him and what his ways are for my life by the power of the Holy Spirit within me. 
And he says there's life for those who choose to live that way. There's life for us. Again, whoever obeys my word will never see death. So as we think about this, here's a question for you. What about Jesus rubs you the wrong way? Because there is something about Jesus that rubbed the Jews the wrong way. And if you're here and you're like, oh, no, there's nothing ever about Jesus that rubs me the wrong way, you probably haven't really read the gospel in full, like the gospel of John, right? Because there are times I'll come across things where I'm like, oh, whoa. And the issue isn't Jesus. The issue is something that God's trying to do in me to deepen my understanding of who Jesus is in the way of life that he's called me to, a life that's marked by grace and truth. And instead of ignoring that part or pretending the issue's Jesus or Jesus didn't really say that or do that, I would encourage us to lean in, not to be afraid of that, but to pay attention to that because there are areas that he's trying to refine in our lives so that we can walk in the way of life that he's called us to. Because in Jesus, his fullness of life, this is what he has for each and every one of us. This is what he's called us to. This is what he suffered and died and sacrificed himself for through his life, death, burial, resurrection. We can receive what he has and then be empowered by the Holy Spirit to lead a life that follows after his leadership and what he's designed each and every one of us for. But what rubs you the wrong way about Jesus? Was it the people he associated with? Was it the fact that he came to the homes of sinners and tax collectors and he was called a friend of sinners? Or is it for you, the issue is, man, the way that he treated the religious, how he interacted with them, he still saw the dignity of them, but he was calling them forward. Does that bother you? Does that bother you? Does that make it feel like, oh man, I don't know why he would do that. Why would he give time to those types of people? Why would he engage the poor and the rich? You know, maybe for you, you're like, that rubs me the wrong way, that there's something about him. Maybe it's something he says in the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount that you're listening to and you're like, I don't know if I, I like that. And maybe it's we don't fully understand who he is and this is why it's important that we lean in and not run from him, but run to him. Because he wants us to flourish and thrive and he wants our relationships to flourish and thrive and he wants us to be a people that help others to flourish and thrive. But that doesn't happen apart from him and his ways. So we've got to pay attention. We've got to pay attention to what it is that he's trying to say in our own lives. Because he's at work. He wants us to adjust, though, to the work he's doing. And then the next part of this is that obeying his word is what enables us to overcome death. And I, I want you to hear the hope of that. Because the hope of that is that we can begin a relationship with God today and through Jesus, we can have the hope of spending forever with him and that one day he's going to make all things new and he's going to wipe away every tear and that he's going to not only wipe away every tear, but every tribe and tongue will be around his throne worshiping him and we'll be doing it together in unity. This is encouragement. This is good for us to hear and be reminded of. And maybe for you, it's the first time you're hearing that. But I was reminded the importance of this as a couple weeks ago, actually a little bit over a week ago, a friend of mine, a colleague within the church planning world uh, was flying home 
from Atlanta. He was a, a pilot, and he was in some meetings in Atlanta and church planning. His name's uh, Clint Clifton, and Clint Clifton's a year older than me, and as Clint Clifton was, was flying back to Virginia from Atlanta, his plane crashed, and as his plane crashed, people couldn't get a hold of him, and the next day he was found dead on the scene. And as people started to talk about Clint and his life, beyond that, it just shook me up, just from a relationship standpoint, from a kingdom-minded mindset, as well as the fact that his son was about to get married in a couple of months here in March, you know, like all these things are like starting to like uh, be very real to me. And then as I'm in that, there's a lot of death that's going on around me as well, as far as other people in my family or friends. And I'm reminded as challenging as that is, and as sad as that is, I know that Clint had put his trust in Jesus and not only put his trust in Jesus, but he was really about obeying the commands of Christ and being used to seek God's kingdom good and to see lives changed and communities changed. And I find that so reassuring in times of sadness as I was going through this, to be reminded of what it is that Jesus has accomplished for each and every one of us. And so I would just want you to think about, have you received Jesus and are you taking on his teaching so that you can experience the life that he's intended you for? Because again, obeying his word is what enables us to overcome death. The word who took on flesh and dwelt among us. Have you received Christ? And are you coming after all that he has for you? And this is an important question because what rubs us the wrong way about Jesus is often revealing to why we're not obeying his word. Where's the gap? Because he wants to close the gap for each and every one of us, including me. Because I'm not immune to this. As I'm reading through this, getting ready for this, I'm like, okay, where's the gap in my own life? Because I want to see the gap. I want to know what it is that he's trying to do in me in the midst of my life of walking with him. So again, obeying his word is what enables us to overcome death. As we continue on here in John's gospel, John 8, 52, it says this. At this, they exclaimed, we've changed our mind about you, Jesus. You're the man. You're the Messiah. Nope. Listen to what they say. At this, they exclaim, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Now we know you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Let's say that out loud together on three. One, two, three. Who do you think you are? Turn to your neighbor and say, who do you think you are? And if you're a parent, you know this phrase is important, right? Because who do you think you are talking to me like that, right? Who do you think you are? This isn't a compliment and a word of encouragement, affirming who Christ is. This is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to talk to us like that? You know, this is like stepping up and saying, oh, you want to go, Jesus? Who do you think you are, right? This is that kind of talk. This is that kind of talk. It's like in a, where I'm from in Atlanta, we'd call it, you know, just talking junk, talking smack, man. Like, hey, who do you think you are? 
Who do you think you are? And I think it's an important question because I think as you look at that question, I think many of us ask that same thing to Jesus. Who do you think you are to ask me to do this? Who do you think you are to have authority in my life in this area? Who do you think you are to treat everybody, to ask me to treat everybody with dignity, honor, and respect? Who do you think you are to have a vision for my personal finances and the way I spend my resources? Who do you think you are to speak into my vocation? Who do you think you are to talk about sexuality? and share a vision for me, for my life in that area. Who do you think you are? And I want you to be thinking, what's your who do you think you are, Jesus? Again, it goes to that, what rubs you the wrong way about Jesus? (laughs) Who do you think you are? Because he's inviting us, again, to walk with him and to experience this relationship to him. It's for our benefit and our good and his glory. But again, these Jews would not see Jesus for who he is, continuing to accuse him. And again, all the good he did, you've got to understand this. It was clear he was fulfilling what the Old Testament talked about. But again, they somehow were blinded to it. Their hearts were hardened towards the things of God. And may may that not be our attitude. May we be open to the work that God is doing. May we be sensitive to how he's at work. And it goes on to say this. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. So who's glorifying Jesus? And he he gets really specific. Who? God the Yeah, it's important that we clarify. God the Father is glorifying me. He's the one that's lifting me up. He's the one that's saying, hey, this is my son who I love and I'm well pleased with. This is the one that I'm sending to you. He's the one that's glorifying me. The one that you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. I'm not seeking my own glory because the Father is doing the glorifying of me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. All right, Jesus says, all right, I'm going to tell you who I I think I am. I'm the one who's glorified by the Father. I'm the one that knows the Father. And what I do and what I say is because he's shown me. But you don't know him. And this word know means in an experiential sense, you are experiencing the fullness of who he is through trust in him. You do not know him. I know him. If I said I did not, again, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I obey his word. I do know him. And if I said I didn't know him, I would be like you. I would be lying. I would be a liar. But I do know him and I obey his word. And I want you not to miss this. Jesus models for us the way of life that we're intended to live. Not only through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. This is what enables us to do it. But I want you to see constantly throughout the Gospel of John this close proximity to his heavenly Father. And how he always goes back, I only do what my Father asked me to do. I only say what my Father has told me to say. I know him. I know him. I'm in his presence. I'm lingering with him. 
And as a result, I obey his word. I obey what he has for me because he's trustworthy. And we know that Jesus, being led by the Holy Spirit, would walk the life that we walk here on earth and would be tempted and would experience temptation that you and I experience, but would be able to overcome it and not give into it. And in Jesus, we find all that we need to walk with God in the way that we were created and intended. Because he models for us this communion, and then he has others that he shares life with too. Because we need one another as well. This is the way of life that Jesus shows us. But I don't want you to miss this. This is about intimacy. This is about knowing. This is about experiencing. This isn't just about information. This isn't just about volumes that he had memorized about his heavenly father. No, no, no. This was, I'm walking with you. I'm experiencing it with you. It's like the difference between me telling you the score of the Eagles game last night and you watching the Eagles game last night, right? There's a different kind of response to it, right? There's just a different response. If you saw, you're like, wow, that was incredible. And for those of us who are not football fans, you fill in the blank with your own illustration. But for the 99% of us who are, 99% of us who are, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just letting the Spirit try to convict, do a deep work here today. But as you think about that, this is what it's really getting at. And again, I want you to be asking in your own life, am I, do I know him? Do I know him? Am I walking with him? And here's the question, as we think back to the question that they asked him, who do you think you are? Where in your life do you say to Jesus, who do you think you are to ask me to? What is that response for you? What is that response? To put my trust in you? To deepen my dependence on you? To care about what you care about? To stop doing this and to start doing that? What is, what is it? And I want you to know, it's for our benefit. It's out of love for us. It's for our freedom. Jesus says very clearly, if you hear my teaching and you hold to it, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's about freedom. He's for us to experience freedom. But freedom doesn't happen apart from dependence on him and his ways. Are we holding on to him? So where in your life, where in your life do you say to Jesus, who do you think you are to ask me to you fill in the blank? And then the next part of this, when God gets the glory, we get to share in his story. So when God gets the glory, we get to share in his story. Now think about what's going on here at Riverbend. Maybe you've heard about this event called Night to Shine. We've talked about it a lot. And the reason we're talking about it a lot is because not only are we excited and believe in it, but it's our way of saying we want to be kingdom citizens here on the earth. This is a tangible way for us to say we care about the sanctity of life. We care about people. We care about people who are often forgotten, who, but yet have so much to offer and are so valuable to God. We care deeply. And as we're getting ready for this event, whether that's recruiting volunteers, raising money, engaging our local community, I want you to know, I want you to know, it's never to be, look at us. That's not why we're doing it. It's like, no, look at him. 
Look at the way he's showing up. Look at the way lives are being changed. Look at the way the gospel of Jesus is being proclaimed and demonstrated. Look at the way we're able to serve one another and serve this community and to learn from each other and to learn from those even we're serving and the benefit that we receive as a result of doing that. But we get to tell a story as we are about his glory. There's a story of his goodness and even provision of this. And that's just one example. Where in your life have you seen God show up in this way? Because Jesus wasn't glory chasing. The glory was given to him by the Father, right? And so we want to join God the Father and God the Holy Spirit lifting up Jesus, saying we're glorifying Jesus. We're saying the fame of Jesus is what it's about. His ways, his words, what he did when he walked the earth, what he came to establish, what he's created us for. It's about lifting up that banner, lifting up Jesus. And when we do that, I got to tell you something. Not only do we get to share in the story, but that is life to the full. That is part of it. That is the adventure that we get to experience. So here's a question for you to think about. Whose glory are you seeking? Whose glory are you seeking? Whose glory are you trying to lift up? Is it your own glory? Is it somebody else's glory or is it the glory of Jesus? Who's got your affection and attention? Who's got your adoration? Who's the, the everything for you? Who's the thing that you're building your life around? Who is that person? What is that thing? Because again, we were created. We were created to lift up the glory of Jesus and to share in the story that he's telling us. He says in Psalm 8, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And how big you are and how, how magnificent you are, majestic you are, and yet you're mindful of us. You allow us, you invite us in. And Night to Shine is just one example. But we've said throughout this series that there are things in your life that are mundane that he wants to be a part of, where he's trying to see see his glory advanced, his kingdom ways advanced, whether that's at Air Products or whether that's you're a pilot or, or whether that's you help soldiers to help them stop feeling that they're alone and isolated, whether that's you're helping the next generation in youth and family services, whether that's you are a college student, whether you're a work-at-home mom, it doesn't matter. He's in the business of seeing his glory lifted up. And as we do that with him, we share in the story that he's telling. Because it's a beautiful story that he's writing. Well, it goes on to say this here in John 8. It says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was what? What's the word? He was glad. He was glad. I want you to put your glad face on with me for a minute. What's a glad face? What would you say? Hey, hey, I'm happy. You know, what's your glad face, right? In other words, there's like this joy for Abraham. And they would say, you are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? They're like, Jesus, you're like, man, we know you're crazy. Man, you're, this doesn't make any sense. Again, looking at it from this perspective. Down here, human perspective, not a heavenly perspective. And it goes on to say this. It says, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, what's the phrase here? 
Before Abraham was born, what? Before Abraham was born? I am. I am. And they said, Jesus, we're going to give you high fives. We're excited about this. Let's carry him out. Now, listen to this. It says, at this, they picked up stones to stone him. To stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And, and really, you've got to understand, for Jesus to say what he said was to say, I am God in flesh. I am divine. I am the designer of life. And so for them, they're like, he's committing blasphemy. And in that day, if you committed blasphemy, you claim to have equality with God, you would be stoned. This is in the law. But Jesus wasn't committing blasphemy. He wasn't telling a lie. He was telling the truth. And when you look at this phrase, I am, it comes up in the Old Testament. I just want to pay attention to one passage briefly here. And this is when Moses encounters God in, in the burning bush, and he takes off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And when he says, I am, and Jesus says this, he's again claiming equality with God. It's saying, I'm self-existing. I've always been. I was not created. I've always been, and I always will be. And this is really key, because when he says, before Abraham was, I am, means that Abraham was created, but I am. Self-existing, self-sustaining, walking in perfect harmony with God the Father and God the Spirit. And C.S. Lewis calls that the dance of the Trinity, and we're invited into that as well. It's beautiful. And then it goes on to say this, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you, sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so God says to Moses, hey, tell the Israelites that I am has sent you. Share with them who I am and who I've been in generations past. Share with them, this is my memorial name. And so for Jesus to say this, this is really key. It's to say, I am divine. I am God in flesh. So when Jesus says, I am, he is declaring, I am divine and I'm the designer of life. And this is good news for us, by the way. Because instead of staying where he was, not only was he sent, but in obedience to the Father, came to pursue each and every one of us so that we could know I am, so that we could know God, so that we could have a relationship with God. Again, when Jesus says, I am, he is declaring, I am divine, and I am the designer of life, which leads us to this part. Do you depend on Jesus as if he is the, desi the, the divine designer, or do you view him as being demon-possessed. And you're like, no, 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 I don't see Jesus demon-possessed. He's too nice for that. But the point isn't whether you view him as demon-possessed or not. But do you view him like a liar or a lunatic? Do you see that he's crazy or just a really nice guy, had some great thoughts, very moral teacher? What is your view of Jesus? 
And I think we really need to look at that because if we see Jesus for who he is as the divine designer, not only with this statement, but the fact that actually he fulfills this statement through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And then he appears to over 500 witnesses. That, that in itself is the proof that we need to see him for who he is beyond all the other things he showed. But he showed that he overcame death and sin, that he's made a way for us to walk with him, that he's the divine designer of life. So what is your view of Jesus? How are you interacting with him? Are you seeing him as the one that you're to depend on? Are you allowing him to be who he is? Do you believe he's for you? And that he, again, has a purpose for your life. And that leads us to the next part of this. Depending on Jesus, the divine designer, is what makes the difference in our lives. So we depend on him as the divine designer, the designer of our lives, that he's divine, that he's God in flesh. This is what changes our lives. This is the game changer for us. This is the secret sauce. This is the thing that he's inviting each and every one of us into. And so right now, wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing, I want you to know whether the joy of life or the sorrow of life, it is an invitation for deeper dependence. He's inviting us into that. He's inviting us to come with our questions, with our cynicism, with our joy, with our sorrows, with our doubts, and to walk with him in that. Because the Lord is near. And this proves that he's near. Because when he says, I am, he came for you and he came for me. He came near for us. Again, depending on Jesus, the divine designer, is what makes the difference in our lives. And so I want us to encounter him and experience him in deeper ways. And so as we go to this next part, I want to just remind you, we're in a 21-day fast. And maybe you're like, I didn't know about the 21-day fast. It's news to me. Well, it's not too late to jump in on this 21-day fast. And really, why are we fasting? We're fasting with the hope to encounter Jesus in deeper ways. Maybe you're going to fast a certain kind of food. Maybe you're going to fast a meal. Maybe you're going to fast a day. But the point of it, more than just the fast of whatever you're going to fast, is to encounter him and to cry out to him and to help him and to have him help us reveal to us where it is we need to deepen our dependence, where it is that we are rubbed in the wrong way by Jesus, where it is we say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And so maybe you're here and you're like, man, I just heard about this. And can I join? Yes, you can. Come on. <laughs> we would love to have you be a part of it. But I don't want you to miss the point of it. It's to encounter him. And part of the way we do that is through fasting and through prayer. So I wanted to give you this simple prayer that goes along with today. And why don't we read this out loud together on three. One, two, three. Jesus, show me where I am defiant to you and ask you, who do you think you are? Help me to depend on you as the divine designer of my life. Amen. And I want you to be thinking about that. Let that lead you. Let that soak in to your life. And as you do, as you do, here's what I do promise. I do promise you're going to encounter him in some deep ways. And some of it's going to be uncomfortable. But the uncomfortable leads to his comfort. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we're designed for? Isn't that what we are created for? Let's pray. 
Father, right now, I just want to thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you are who you say you are. I am that I am. And I thank you that the God who sent Moses back to Egypt to free his people, to be a part of that. And Jesus, you were there then. You then were sent. I I am was sent to us to set us free from the enslavement of sin. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for the life that you've created each and every one of us for. And so, Father, today, we just want to receive. We want to receive who you are. We want to put our trust in you. We want to acknowledge the areas in our life where there are gaps. And we want to ask that you would supernaturally, by the power of the Holy Spirit, remind us that we're not orphaned and we're not alone, but that we, through you, are enabled and equipped and empowered to walk with you and to share the life that you've created and designed us for. And so, Lord, I just pray in a very real sense uh, we, would, we would get that and that we would walk in that. Help us to, to even see where you rub us the wrong way, Jesus. Help us to see where we're defiant. Lord, help us to see where um, we're so quick to project on you who we are versus who you really are and allow that to change us. We want your will. We want your way. Out of your great love for us, we respond and say yes. Yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.